That's right. Welcome in. Welcome back, everybody, to the Always Irish Show. You can find this program on YouTube. Do hit subscribe if you haven't yet. I'd appreciate that very much. Give the video a thumbs up as well. That helps in the YouTube algorithm. I appreciate that, too. Twitter, search bar, Always Irish, or at Always Irish, Inc. Emails, alwaysirishnd at gmail.com. Audio only, anywhere you want me, you can get me. Call in show 312-988-15, targeting sometime this upcoming week. I will let you know. I want to hear from you on a wide array of Notre Dame-related topics. Uh, first things first, I do believe the fencing team are national champions. So on guard to them, great job. National championship, beautiful thing. Congrats to all them. So this, to me, is just kind of a weird time of year. It's just kind of a lot of in-betweens, right? You have spring practice, but limited access to what happens there. You have recruiting visits that are ongoing and a lot of interest, a lot of rumors, a lot of smoke, a lot of this and a lot of that. And if you look on Twitter, I've seen some bizarre stuff on Twitter about recruiting and Notre Dame recruiting that it, it just surprises me, a lot of this stuff. So I don't know what's real with that. I don't know what's not real with that. There's just, there's interest. There's a lot of rumors. There's visits, but nothing official. No, nobody committing to where you could count them in, in the, on the fold and then not worry about that position or whatever. You got the pro day going on with the Notre Dame guys getting ready for the draft. There's, there's just a lot of action and at the same time, in a lot of ways, not a lot of action. And and it's just, that's a function of where we're at in the calendar year. And I think I'm also feeling this a little more than usual because there's so much new. So many changes with the program, with the staff, with the head coach. We're recruiting in a different way, you guys. Has everybody realized that yet? Everybody realize that. This is a different recruiting operation than before. They're swimming in the deep end of the talent pool now. That changes things a lot. Changes the approach. Changes the normal timelines. We're used to Notre Dame guys figuring out and committing. A lot of that is all different. And we're going to have to adjust. I promise we're going to be glad we do. But a lot of this you're going to have to adjust to. And we're going to go over some of that. So with so much... So many moving parts. This is just going to be an episode where I'm going to jump around to a few different topics from what I'm seeing, reading, hearing, whatever, okay, about a lot of things going on. So here's number one, pro day. Good to see a lot of ND guys prepping for the draft. They're, they're going to be drafted. Great to see. Best of luck. Best of health to all of those guys. That's number one. Here's number two. And this is pretty interesting, and it's an angle that's come up. I've seen multiple outlets write about it, talk about it, whatever. The dynamic between Buckner and Pine, not only physically, like where they're both at physically and their development as the Notre Dame quarterback, Notre Dame quarterbacks, plural, not only that piece of it, but more about Assuming leadership. Everybody knows the quarterback's the leader of the team. You have to be. It's the most important position 
individual position, I would say in all of sports, most definitely football. The quarterback's your guy. He has to be that guy. He has the most direct impact on if you're good or bad, win or lose, quarterback, okay? Not up for debate. But there's there's this dynamic of leadership and how you assume leadership, how you display leadership from that position. Some guys are more outgoing, more gregarious, um, just a more lively, energetic personality. And other guys are a little more reserved or subdued and, and lead by their actions. How does that all shake out? So it seems like Pine is just naturally more outgoing, more vocal. That's just his personality. And it seems like Buckner is a little more reserved and quiet, but is determined as health and fierce as hell. Leadership, I think, is a tricky thing with young guys. These are guys that didn't have leadership roles last year. We had Cone was the quarterback. Then, so how did these guys assume that role and ascend? to being where last year they weren't being relied on in this way, and now they are. And they have to lead this offense and be the leader of the team in a lot of regards because that's what the quarterback is and does, especially at a place like Notre Dame, ultra important. So it seems like from what we've gathered that these guys are finding their way. And Reese is spending a lot of time trying to get the, this leadership stuff to come out of these young guys and let them know it's okay to assume that role. We need you to be that guy. And I just think that's an interesting dynamic. And it comes more naturally for some guys than others. It's more obvious with some guys than others. And how do you balance if you're the coaching staff and you're trying to make these decisions? How do you balance that difference in leadership and how it's displayed versus on the field, what guys are doing? Like, I, I don't know this to be the case. Let's just throw it out there as a hypothetical. Something like, what if you have one of these guys who's clearly more physically advanced and could do more on the field, but the other guy's a more natural leader that guys gravitate towards? I don't know that that's the case. I'm not breaking any news here, starting any rumors. That's not what I'm going for here. I'm just asking a philosophical, existential thought question, I guess. How do you navigate that then? When you might have one guy who's more physically advanced, but the other guy's a more natural leader and guys are drawn to him. How do you, how do you blend that together? Make that work. Make everybody happy in their role. How do you figure out which way you're going to go if, if there's some differences there between desired leadership characteristics and traits versus on-field? How does that all go? And so it's a critical factor to have your quarterback be a positive leader in that locker room. I am sure, whether it's Buckner or Pine, this is going to work out great because they're both really good guys. Really good guys with good heads on their shoulders. They understand the importance and all of the responsibilities that comes with being Notre Dame's quarterback. But I keep seeing it talked about how a big part of this spring is getting those young quarterbacks to ascend to be comfortable leaders in this locker room. 
And I admit, when I was thinking of all the things this spring and what were we going to do with quarterback, how's this going to look, the offense and all that, it's one of the things I don't think I thought about enough is this leadership component and how these guys are young and how do they ascend into that? What does that transition period look like? So I think it's an interesting dynamic and it's obviously a big deal because I've seen this written about and talked about from Notre Dame writers and the actual staff so far this spring. So I don't know how that's going to work out. There's some calibration there. There's there's just going to have to be a way to blend these roles to where you could end up with the best positioning of on-field physical output blended together with comfortable, natural leadership. That's the other thing. It can't be fake leadership. It can't be phony rah-rah. Guys are too smart for that. They're going to know who's BSing them. So you got to find a way to be able to maximize these leadership roles and the personality traits each of these guys bring, and you have to embrace it and bring it forward. You can't change guys' personalities. If one guy's a quieter, lead-by-example guy, and the other guy's more rah-rah, you can't change those personalities. So I think there's this big feeling-out process, and it all comes down to letting these two youngsters know. You guys are the quarterbacks, so it's fine to take the bull by the horns and be a little bit more aggressive with your leadership and assume that role. So I understand that's something that might be hard for these younger guys, but now is your time. Now is your time. So I hope they feel this out and end up in a place where they could both comfortably lead this team the way we need them to, however the playing time part ends up going. But this is obviously a big deal because I've seen it talked about, written about, and the staff talking about it a lot. So this is a big deal, and it's something Reese has definitely identified as a point of emphasis for these young signal callers. So that's an interesting dynamic that I admit I have not spent a ton of time thinking about till I started seeing this come out in articles, podcasts, whatever. Very interesting dynamic, okay? Notre Dame starting quarterback. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. It's always been a big deal. It's always going to be a big deal. It's a big deal. So I hope they all figure out their most natural and comfortable way to be able to deliver on the field physically and be a rallying leader for the whole squad as well, okay? So I've also heard a lot of Tyler Buckner is an unbelievable runner and he's running all over around people all over the place in these practices. I've heard that multiple times. I love that. We all know that's his skill set. But since I already know that's his skill set, I would also love to hear he's throwing the ball all over, making all these wild throws too. Because I already knew he was a skilled runner. So I'd like to see a little bit of, wow, he wowed us with the way he's whipping his ball all over. So... I did think that's funny. And listen, I'm still saying this. And I'm saying this kind of kidding and not at all. I'm wondering if there's some sort of almost borderline option package look they're going to run out there against Ohio State. I have said this before. If that is your strength and you have all summer and you could build some of those packages, go into Ohio State 
Don't expect Buckner to have to throw the ball all over in front of that wild crowd right away. One of the best teams in the country. Full house of drunk people at Ohio State. All that. Maybe you just build in and, and practice in the summer sessions some of these option packages just to mess up Ohio State. I'm not saying run an option the whole year. I'm just saying it's crossed my mind as a way to maybe sneak up on Ohio State. Eat some clock. Maybe have them confused. And jump ahead of them and eat up a half a quarter like Navy does to us sometimes. I, you could think that's ridiculous. If that's really his strength to that extent. And we have these other running backs that have different skill sets that are all useful. I'm just saying it's crossed my mind. And I say it half joking and half serious at the exact same time. Even if, let's say, let's say they end up going with Tyler Buckner as the opening day starter. They might, it, they might not call it the option, but you could bet they're going to try and ease him into this ball game and this starting role with a lot of those plays where he has the ability to extend them, keep the ball, whatever. So there's going to be some of that. Maybe not to the extent I'm speaking of it about, but there's going to be a lot of that week one. They're going to want to ease him in and use his strengths that he's comfortable with. There's going to be a lot of running around. And that also makes me realize both these guys got to be ready all year. If, if everything's so focused on Buckner's legs and how good he is with those legs, that's great till he gets banged up. And a knee gets twisted, he gets a helmet to the head, going out of bounds, concussion, out a couple weeks, whatever. So, that's a big concern to me with the guy who isn't the biggest guy. This ain't Justin Fields out there for the Bears running the ball, where he's big and physical. So, I'm not saying Buckner's a little guy, but he ain't like Justin Fields size running the ball. It ain't Cam Newton out there running the ball. So, both these guys are going to have to be ready. In case all that running, somebody takes a cheap shot, little concussed, twists your ankle, whatever the case may be. Both these guys are going to have to be ready. Now, what helps in that regard that we didn't have last year in this particular discussion is these guys have more similar skill sets than Jack Cohn and Buckner and Pine had last year. That was the challenge. I think that's why you didn't see as much of Buckner last year. Because the offense set up for Cone is the total opposite of the offense they would set up if it was Pine or Buckner. So the fact that they have overlapping skill sets to a large degree, I think, is going to help with this dynamic moving forward in a way that it just wasn't physically possible with the quarterback dynamic we had last year. So I do think that's an advantage. But you're going to need both these guys to be ready in case somebody gets dinged, okay? Moving on to number two, recruiting. I know wide receiver James was or is in town. His family loves Notre Dame. We need wide receivers and not just bodies. I don't just need bodies. We've had enough just bodies. I need dudes. I need players. I need early contributors to this team. He could be one of those guys. Seems like Notre Dame's in a fantastic spot with him. Family likes Notre Dame, all that. I love hearing it. That all sounds to me like a Notre Dame type situation. That being said, 
I per I could talk for myself personally and the other people in my Notre Dame circle. People are getting a little anxious with the Dante Moore Tate situation. The longer this goes on, people are just getting a little antsy. People just want to know either we got one of these guys, both these guys, none of these guys, move on to the next guy. We just want a resolution and we don't have one. And the longer it goes on, the more people's anxiety is going to grow to where there's going to be a fear that this is going to drag out so long we're going to end up holding an empty bag. And then Marcus Freeman, there's your tough year one recruiting lesson. That's the worst case scenario. But what I'm feeling is people are ready to have a resolution to this one way or the other so we could just move on. Just move on. No, either we have Dante Moore or we don't, like one way or the other. But this dance in between is starting to cause people's anxiety to where I'm getting more emails, text messages, and direct messages on Twitter about this dynamic as the weeks go on. I'm getting more and more. What are you hearing? I'm getting nervous. What do you think? People are just ready. I feel the anxiety rising with this whole elite recruiting skill guy dynamic. And, and the other part of this is, the other part of it is, everybody kind of agrees. The recruit Knicks, people like me, whatever. Once the first domino falls, others will too. One way or the other. I'm not saying for Notre Dame or against Notre Dame, but the, the sentiment here is once some of these dominoes start tipping over, other guys are going to start making their decisions. So I feel like it's the kind of thing, especially maybe with these quarterbacks, I feel like there's some receivers that kind of maybe know what they might want to do, but at the same time they're sitting there chilling and they're not in a hurry, and they're going to see what happens with these quarterbacks and then make firm decisions after that. So I feel that anxiety personally. Um, it's a little tiresome. It's just a worry. You don't want to be holding the bag empty at the end, all, all that. So like the, the range of outcomes here is huge. Anything from Tate and more, and, and it's just off to the races as good as you could possibly hope for. One or the other, all the way to miss the bag on both of them. Now where you at, everybody's disappointed, questioning Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese, and we go down that path. So the range of outcomes here is huge. It's huge. Positive, negative, maybe somewhere in the middle where you get one or you don't get the other or whatever. People are just starting to feel that anxiety, all right? But here's the deal. Here's what we all need to understand, big picture, with this recruiting dynamic. Notre Dame starting to swim in the deep end of the pool with this elite recruiting stuff. It ain't the kiddie end of the pool anymore. When you're swimming in the deep end of the talent pool, those are guys that generally don't commit that early. They're sought after by everybody. They're going to take their visits. They want to be wined and dined, have that, that attention, all that. And I know Notre Dame people don't like it, but guess what? It's the game you got to play. It's the game you got to play. The elite guys, that's just how it goes. 
They're not the ones who commit early. All the top teams are after them, and they want to get around, get a feel for it, go to all the top teams, do their visits, get all the limelight, get all the attention. And I know Notre Dame people generally don't like that 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 schema that those elite guys kind of have sometimes. That's not what we're used to. But I'm telling you, if you want to win a playoff game, this is just going to be the dynamic. And we're just going to have to adjust. And what that's going to mean is you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Till Notre Dame starts winning their big games and putting that on the map, you're going to win some of these, you're going to lose some of them. But you're swimming in the deep end of the pool and it's the one you have to swim in to win big. So... I get that that causes anxiety. That's just a part of the game when you're going after the top guys everybody else wants. Now, I've seen this multiple places. I've seen this on Twitter multiple times. And I don't understand it. I don't get it. I've seen these tweets. The, you know, the... the uh, chart the graph and they ask a question and you get to vote and the question has been Notre Dame fans if you're not getting both Moore and Tate and you can only get one of them would you rather have it be Moore or Tate so then these then you post it on Twitter and see what the results are I don't understand this this is not a question to me Everybody knows quarterback is the single most important individual position in all of sports. An elite quarterback is the tide that rises all ships in your program on the field and in terms of recruiting other talent to come to you. So even in a dynamic where Notre Dame is hurting for elite wide receiver talent and depth in numbers, I acknowledge that. You you pick the elite quarterback 100 times out of 100 times in this dynamic. You just do. You do. So I get the general idea of the question, but to me, it isn't even it isn't even a discussion. You take that elite quarterback, and if you lose Tate, you might get another guy. Or more so good that he makes the receivers we do have seem better. Like, there's other things you could do to make up losing Tate if you have an elite quarterback. So, to me, it's not a question at all. You take the elite quarterback, figure everything else out later. So, to me, that's always it. And if Marcus Freeman's able to identify his number one recruiting targeted quarterback that all these other schools want. He's a five-star kid and land him year one. Man, that is the exact definition of hashtag the Freeman factor. That's what it's all about. That is the essence of that entire hashtag and its meaning. So I get the essence of the question. Obviously, we want both. But if I have to pick one or the other, I need the quarterback. Figure everything else out. You get an elite quarterback, it's going to be easier to do everything else. You get an elite quarterback, whatever you do have in the wide receiver room just got better because quarterback's better. Leads them better, better reads on patterns, whatever it is, can buy more time in the pocket to let them get up, whatever. 
take the elite quarterback all the time, all right? Not a serious debate to me. Here's something else recruiting-wise. And I fall, there are very, very few topics in Notre Dame football land that have me in the middle. Most things I have a very, very strong opinion for or against, and I can state to you guys my philosophical reasons of being in one camp or the other. Here's one where I'm right in the middle, and it's uncomfortable. I see some Notre Dame people frustrated that Keeley is taking visits, posing for pictures on Twitter, wearing other teams' jerseys, even after verbally committing to Notre Dame. And he's still taking visits. See him, I think it was Ohio State in the locker room wearing their jersey, but he, he's committed to Notre Dame. I've had a lot of people reach out to me about this, saying, I thought the Notre Dame thing was, once you commit to them, you stop taking these visits. If, if you committed verbally, why are you taking these visits? So I've seen that. And I know that's how Notre Dame want, was operating for a while. There was that kind of expectation. But it seems like it's not being made a big issue and they're okay with him doing this or whatever and think we're still going to land him. But I've gotten a lot, a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. Is it right of him or wrong of him to do this? Here's where I end up right in the middle on it. I agree philosophically that if you verbally commit to a school, it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to be taking weekend visits to other places where they're flirting with you, right? Is it like being engaged, but you're still flirting with the girl at the bar? Nobody's going to say that's okay just because you're not married yet, right? You already got one foot in that, that committed relationship at that point. So I see that frustration. The modern age of this, though, comes back to me saying we're swimming in the deep end of the talent pool, and I think these guys expect to be wined and dined, do what they want, have all the attention, take the recruiting pictures, want to be, they want to have that red carpet pulled out for them every city they go, take all their visits, even if they verbally committed somewhere. And I think these elite guys expect that they're going to be able to do that and not have Notre Dame or whoever else say, you're going to lose your scholarship offer if you do. So, there's a tightrope here, and I see it both ways. I could see philosophically saying, you committed us, quit taking visits. I don't want to see you wearing an Ohio State jersey. I get that. I also get that we're swimming in the deep end of the pool now in a way we weren't before. This is a different cut of athlete, and they expect to be treated differently. We may not like it. You may not like it. You're going to like it if we land some and you land a guy like that with that kind of boss attitude, that alpha attitude. You're going to like it then. So I'm in the middle on this. I agree philosophically. You, need, you shouldn't be doing that if you committed to us. I also get that if you take that hard line with the most elite guys, 
they might give you the middle finger and say, I'm out of here. That's garbage. Let me do my thing. So I'm right in the middle on this. I see both sides of this argument. I don't know Marcus Freeman's personal philosophy on it, but I know a lot of people didn't like seeing Keeley wearing other jerseys in their locker rooms. So this is just, it's a new ballpark, guys. It's a new game. In a lot of ways, what we're used to Notre Dame's recruiting operation looking like, it just doesn't apply anymore. And that's uncomfortable, but it's progress and it's moving in the right direction. But we as Notre Dame fans need to all understand when you're swimming in the deep end of the talent pool, things look different. Things look different than when you're going after a high three-star guy that wants to commit to Notre Dame early and then that's it. This ain't that. This ain't that. Things are different. So some of it's going to make us nervous. Some of it we're not going to like. But you need those guys with that alpha dog attitude that like the attention and the big lights. You need them. We're only not going to like it if they leave us and go somewhere else. But if they do all this and end up with us, we're going to love what we get. So this is all a tricky new calibration. And ultimately, I think Marcus Freeman and his staff need to figure out a philosophy on how to approach this. But it's something to think about. And I could see both sides of it. Notre Dame's in new recruiting territory swimming in the deep end. It looks a lot different from that end of the pool. And we're starting to see that. It's a good thing. I know it causes anxiety. There's some things I don't like about it. It's progress. And I'm slowly getting used to it. But you, I like feeling Notre Dame waiting in that pool from the shallow end and then tiptoeing down up to your neck and then down in the deep end. That's where we're going. And ultimately, you're going to like it. I promise. Ultimately, you're going to like it. There may be a few guys we lose or people playing games, whatever. Ultimately, we're going to like it. This is the path. This is the path, okay? Next topic, Al Golden. The more I see, the more I hear, the more I read, the more I like it. I like it. He is already being exactly what I wanted him to be. That old head in the room that could has seen it all, done it all, been around the block. Marcus can lean on. I've already heard a bunch of different instances where Al Golden went to Reese and Freeman or whatever and said, I think we need to structure this differently, do this differently. Or, you know, one of them was, I think in the old days, uh, Kelly, they used to work on goal line uh, and red zone stuff later in the practices. Al Golden said, this is the most important part of offense and defense in the red zone. We're going to do that first. While we have energy and everybody's ready to go, we're going to do that part first. So everybody's not tired and winding down at the end of the day. Stuff like that. So from everything I've heard, Al Gold, it's been a great asset already. New set of eyes, different way to do things, different ideas on how things could be done. He's a respected guy. Like, love it. So far, so good with that. It's exactly what I pictured his role being is what it is, and I love it. 
So far, so good. Great fit. Here's something else that's popped up. I saw that Adidas is open to NIL deals for every athlete whose college has Adidas as their contractual clothier. So if your school's an Adidas school for jerseys and cleats or whatever, there's an opportunity for any athlete in that, that environment to get a deal with Adidas. I am wondering if Under Armour is thinking of doing something like that with Notre Dame. Another brand that I could see this being awesome for, I'm not going to like it because it helps Michigan. You got the Jumpman brand with Michigan. I'd be using that if I'm them. You're, all those young kids will love all that Jumpman stuff. It's a lot more stylish than anything Adidas has. So I'm just wondering if this leads us down a path where Under Armour comes up with something like this and the Notre Dame athletes could get in under that umbrella. Just something to think about. In my opinion, Notre Dame right now is behind in the NIL situation. I keep being told there's things in the works. There's things in the works. They meet every week trying to figure this stuff out. The horse is out of the barn at a lot of these schools. And I know Notre Dame's not just going to pay $3 million and $8 million and a million to get these guys. That's not what I want out of Notre Dame's NIL. But whatever it is, I need it to be a little more concrete so we know what it is and a lot more public so these players know this is something Notre Dame values for them on their behalf. So I, every time I ask, I'm told, relax, it's being worked on. They have meetings on it every week. The horse is out of the barn. So we need to get this going. Figure out something and make it very public. We all know it's not going to turn into Notre Dame just pay for play. That ain't it. Build it into charity, community, academia, family, religion, whatever. Figure out a way to set it up where everybody benefits, the players get something out of it, helps the community, still stands in line with everything Notre Dame values. Shouldn't be that hard of a needle to thread. It's just got to be threaded in public, okay? So I need them to step up with NIL like ASAP, okay? Two things I'm going to finish on that I really, really like. I want to finish on two highlights. Number one, Marcus Freeman is saying Brian Mason is making an instant impact in special teams. And Brian Mason is only happy with this unit being ranked the number one most efficient unit in the whole country. If you watch my show at all over the years, you know one of my biggest pet peeves is bad, sloppy, special teams. It warms my little Irish blackened heart to hear that special teams is a priority, that they're already seeing impact there. And Brian Mason's goal is to be the number one most efficient special teams group in the country. Warms my soul. I realize maybe every coaching staff says that about special teams. I just needed to hear it from here, damn it. I just needed to hear it. So, makes me feel good. I'm going to finish with this little note. Just a little bullet point. 
Marcus Freeman was asked how it's going, getting to know the staff, blending the staff together, and figuring all that out. And that is one of those bigger picture items that we talked about that would be a big part of this spring session. Getting everybody on the same page, figuring out those roles. Who's better at this, better at that, weaker at this, whatever. So they asked Freeman how that's going. And he said that one of the most important things he's doing to feel this process out is sitting there and listening to the other coaches. After their practice session, then they all gather. He said his biggest priority, sitting there and listening to what those guys have to say about everything. How this is going, how that's going, what's good, what's bad, who's flashing, who's injured, all that, whatever. I take note of something like that. I think that shows a lot of maturity of a 37-year-old first-time head coach that his first inclination isn't to do, 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 talk, 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 be everything, blah, blah, blah. But one of his first priorities to, is to sit back and listen rather than speak. I feel like for a 37-year-old with this much to prove, for him to have that level of maturity to know that he could probably get more out of this by letting them talk first, processing where they're at, then getting back with them. I just think that shows a lot of maturity and a guy who's willing to be open to the idea that he's a first-time head coach and be open to their ideas and not want to overrun everything, overpower everything. I know what needs to be done. But to sit in that meeting room and listen to those guys' opinions, I like that. I like that. I think that shows a lot of strength and character and maturity for a guy as young as he is with as high power of a job as he has. And I like that. I like that. So that's all I have for this episode. I think we covered a lot of ground. This is just a really interesting in-between period. In-between period. There's football, but we can't see much of it. There's recruiting, but it's nothing official. It's just this awkward little in-between period that we're just going to navigate day by day, week by week. I know Dante Moore. I'm recording this Sunday. You might be seeing it Monday. I believe he's going to be on campus Monday. Maybe we get a surprise out of that. I don't know, but I definitely, I definitely like that he's back. So stay tuned on that. Maybe some of what I just talked about will be out of date by Monday night. We could hope. Have a good one.